This is AFF On Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast, bringing you the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. G'day and welcome to episode 18 of AFF On Air. Today it is Saturday the 24th of August 2019. I'm your host Matt Graham. Coming up in today's episode, Qantas has plans to operate non-stop flights from Sydney to London and Sydney to New York by 2022. Redeeming frequent flyer points to Europe over the peak summer period. And I chat to Australian Frequent Flyer's newest moderator, who also happens to be a Platinum One Frequent Flyer with Qantas, the lovely Princess Fiona. That's coming up later in the episode, but first, here's what's making news on Australian Frequent Flyer this fortnight. And new data from OAG reveals that the Qantas route from Sydney to Melbourne is the second highest revenue earner of any air route from any airline anywhere in the world. Qantas earned a whopping $1.27 billion in revenue last year for its Melbourne to Sydney flights, coming in second behind only British Airways for its services between London Heathrow and New York JFK. Qantas alone operates almost 500 flights per week between Sydney and Melbourne, with flights leaving every 15 minutes during peak times. The Sydney to Melbourne route is also the second busiest in the world in terms of the number of flights behind only the route from Seoul's Gimpo Airport to Jeju in South Korea. Qantas has now finally refurbished its entire Airbus A330 fleet with the new business class suites and upgraded Panasonic in-flight entertainment systems. The final aircraft to be reconfigured, VHEBG, came out of the Brisbane maintenance facility with a brand new interior about two weeks ago, and it's been flying around Australia ever since. Qantas announced its A330 upgrade program seven years ago, and most aircraft had already been reconfigured by around three years ago. But two international A330s had continued flying with the old skybed seats well after then, much to the disappointment of unsuspecting passengers who would end up on those planes. The 28 Degrees MasterCard has been rebranded as the Latitude 28 Degrees Global Platinum Card. This card is particularly popular because there are no annual fees and no fees for using the card overseas. It also comes with free access to Wi-Fi hotspots around the world and free airport lounge access if your flight is delayed more than two hours. And these features of the card remain in place after the name change. Much like it's now possible to redeem Qantas points for domestic Air New Zealand flights, you can also now redeem Air New Zealand Air Points dollars for point-to-point domestic flights within Australia on Qantas. Flights begin at $120 air points dollars plus taxes for routes of up to 999 kilometres in length, such as Sydney to Melbourne. If you have an air points account based in New Zealand, you can book using the Air New Zealand website, but Australian air points account holders will have to call up. This is good news if you are already stuck with using the air points program, but I certainly wouldn't go out of my way to sign up for it just because of this. Overall, air points is still one of the worst value frequent flyer programs in the world, in my opinion. Qantas has launched a new points-earning partnership with Quandu, a restaurant booking platform. You can now earn 100 Qantas points per diner for booking restaurants in Australia and in 11 other countries around the world through the Qantas Restaurants website. Meanwhile, you can also now earn Qantas points at Terry White Chemists. You'll earn 2 Qantas points per dollar spent, and you can also earn 1,000 bonus Qantas points if you spend $30 at Terry White in a single transaction within 90 days of signing up to their rewards program and linking your Qantas account. Singapore Airlines is currently offering 50% bonus Chrisfly Elite Miles on new round-trip Singapore Airlines and Silk Air bookings to selected destinations. 
Elite miles are basically the equivalent of status credits with the Singapore Airlines Chrisflyer program, so this promo is an opportunity to fast track your way to Chrisflyer silver or gold status. And this gives you benefits if you fly with Singapore Airlines, Virgin Australia, or across any of the Star Alliance network of airlines. The destinations covered in this offer are London, Paris, Frankfurt, Manila, Ho Chi Minh City, Phuket, Tokyo, Seattle and Los Angeles, Delhi, Johannesburg, and the Maldives. The promotion's running until the 5th of September. Meanwhile, Singapore Airlines will be upgrading the aircraft it uses on its flights from Singapore to Wellington, which go via Melbourne, from the 1st of November to an Airbus A350-900. The A350 has live flat business class seats and a premium economy cabin, so it's a nice upgrade over the current 777-200 being used. This route is currently four times a week, but it will be increasing to five times a week from the 1st of January next year, so it must be doing okay. And Air Canada is getting sued in a Quebec court over fuel surcharges. The lawsuit alleges that Air Canada illegally overcharged its customers by imposing a fuel surcharge on some routes that was more than double the actual cost of fuel. The lawsuit alleges that the airline made a real profit off this charge, which it misrepresented as being necessary due to the volatility of fuel prices. That's what's making news this fortnight. For more regular news, updates and deals, be sure to subscribe to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette or follow Australian Frequent Flyer on Facebook. Two years ago, Qantas announced its ambitious objective to operate regular, commercial flights non-stop between the east coast of Australia and New York and London. Fast forward to this week, and Qantas is now in the final stages of making a decision about whether to go ahead with what it calls Project Sunrise, and if so, which aircraft it will use to do this. Qantas says that it's now received its uh, best and final offers from Airbus and Boeing, and the choice is going to be between the Airbus A350-1000 Ultra Long Range and the Boeing 777X, which isn't actually in production yet. Qantas CEO Alan Joyce has said that the aircraft would need to hold around about 300 passengers across four cabin classes, and the flights would need to be commercially and economically viable with a full passenger load. And that's quite a mammoth ask, given that there are currently no planes in the world that are actually capable of this. That said, technology is developing rapidly, and very soon we could have reached what Qantas is calling the final frontier for the global aviation industry. Last Thursday, Qantas announced that it will operate three test flights using Boeing 7879 Dreamliners. Two of these will be from New York to Sydney non-stop, and one of these will be from London Heathrow to Sydney non-stop. Here's the announcement from Qantas. Work is continuing on Project Sunrise, our plan to fly non-stop from London and New York to the east coast of Australia. At the end of this year, we'll decide if these flights become a reality. Before then, three unique research flights with scientists will monitor passenger and crew well-being. Two flights will go from New York to Sydney, a world first for a commercial airline, and one from London to Sydney. The findings will help us design the service on board and how we care for crew and passengers. To limit weight and enable the 787s to make the distance, only 40 people will be on the flights. We'll be offsetting the carbon emissions of all three. We really want Project Sunrise to take off, but it depends on aircraft economics, regulatory approvals and a deal with our crew. These research flights will be groundbreaking and help shape a whole new way of flying, one that could link each side of the globe in a single hop. 
these test flights will actually be repurposed delivery flights. Qantas will receive three of its six new Dreamliners from the Boeing factory in Seattle between October and December this year. And instead of flying these back to Australia like the airline normally does, Qantas will position two of these aircraft to New York and one of them to London in order to operate from there back to Sydney non-stop. On board these flights will be mostly Qantas staff, university researchers and the flight crew, and they'll be testing uh, how the crew and the passengers cope with spending 19 hours on a plane. Even if Boeing and Airbus are able to provide a capable aircraft, and it looks as though both of them will, there are still a few more hurdles that Qantas will need to get past. For starters, the airline's crew and Australian regulators will need to be prepared to allow the pilots and cabin crew to operate a non-stop flight that lasts for 19 to 20 hours. Currently, the duty time limits imposed on crew would make this illegal. Alan Joyce has also said that the flights would need to be profitable. Just because something can be done doesn't mean that Qantas is going to do it. Qantas is, after all, a business and they're out to make a profit for their shareholders. Ultra long-haul flights like these are particularly expensive to run because they burn a lot more fuel than usual. This is because the extra fuel that you need to carry because of the distance of the flight makes the plane much heavier at the start of the flight, which in turn results in even more fuel being burned uh, because the plane is heavier at the start of the flight. So the fuel consumption overall is going to be very high on these flights. And in that sense, one-stop flights to Europe are much better for the environment um, than the direct flights as the overall fuel consumption is lower. So what would a non-stop flight from Sydney to London or Sydney to New York actually look like? Well, the flights we know would last approximately 19 to 20 hours, depending on the winds, among other things. And to give you a bit of an idea, uh, this is what we might expect the schedules to look like. So from Sydney to London, um, the flight could depart around 8 o'clock in the evening, fly overnight for around 20 hours and arrive in London at 6 a.m. the next morning. So you could actually have dinner in Sydney, get on the plane, um, fly all the way through to London, have a nice sleep, and then arrive uh, at 6am the next morning ready to go to work the next day. Uh, on the way back, the flight would be around about 19 hours. And if you left London Heathrow just after lunch, say around uh, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, you'd get to Sydney in the evening the next day, say around 6pm. From Sydney to New York... Uh, you might leave Sydney around 1 o'clock in the afternoon, fly around 18 and a half hours through to New York, and then get to New York at 4.30pm on the same day. Of course, you have crossed over the dateline, though. And coming back, you could expect to leave New York around 7.30 in the evening, fly for around 19 to 20 hours to Sydney, and then arrive at 6am two days later. At the moment, Qantas does operate a flight from London to Sydney via Singapore. That's, of course, QF2. This flight leaves London Heathrow in the evening and uh, arrives in Sydney first thing in the morning two days later. If the route was going to be non-stop from London to Sydney, Qantas would not actually be able to do this because there are uh, slot restrictions and also a curfew at Heathrow and there's also a curfew in Sydney. The, they just wouldn't be able to do that because of those restrictions. So you would be probably looking at about a lunchtime departure from Heathrow. Qantas will, of course, be carrying almost no cargo on these Project Sunrise flights in order to keep the weight of the aircraft down. And so because of this, um, the, the airline had floated the idea of fitting some of the below-deck cargo area, which is uh, heated and pressurized, so it is inhabitable for passengers, uh, with bunk beds, possibly even a gym or a children's play area. And this would, of course, make these flights a lot more bearable uh, for particularly passengers stuck in economy class with these ultra-long-haul flights. 
Um, unfortunately, though, Qantas has already dismissed this idea. So it'll be exciting to see what comes of Project Sunrise. A 19-hour non-stop flight to the other side of the world won't be everyone's cup of tea. But others will welcome the opportunity to be able to fly from Sydney to London without stopping. I mean, Qantas is already flying non-stop from Perth to London. That's around a 17-hour flight, so this is uh, only two to three hours longer. The longest flight in the world at the moment is with Singapore Airlines. Singapore Airlines flies from Singapore to Newark, and that takes around about 18 hours, although that particular aircraft they're using for that is only fitted with business class and premium economy. There's no economy passengers on that flight. For more information about Project Sunrise, feel free to check out my article on Australian Frequent Flyer, which is linked in the episode notes. Hi, this is Clifford Reichland, founder of the Australian Frequent Flyer. I trust you're enjoying this episode of AFF on Air. Matt does a great job, doesn't he? Do you know that you can tap directly into Matt's knowledge at Frequent Flyer Solutions, our premium service? Go to frequentflyer.com.au for more information. In this episode of the podcast, I have the pleasure of speaking to Fiona, who's also known on the AFF forum as Princess Fiona, and Fiona is one of our moderators. Welcome to the podcast, Fiona. Hello, Matt. Thanks for coming on. I wanted to ask you firstly, how did you originally get involved in the AFF forum? I first joined AFF, I think, if my memory serves me correctly, around about 2008, 2009, thereabouts. I've always been interested in everything to do with flying, points, travel, etc., etc. And I started doing a fair bit of travel for work around about 2008. And I quickly realized by looking or doing a quick Google search or whatever the search form was at the time that I was using that AFF was probably going to be a good starting point for me to learn the ropes in terms of points, miles, hotels, everything. So that's kind of why I joined back then. At the time, I found um, as a new person to a forum, it's always a little bit of a learning, it can be a steep learning curve. Um, but if you, I found that once I stuck around, contributed a bit and started becoming more confident in answering questions, I was actually very welcomed. And yeah, 10 years later, I'm still here. Yeah, and it's great to have you here and also as part of the moderator team now. And as you say, it is, a, a I find, quite a welcoming community. Our listeners will probably have noticed that you have an accent. Um, do you just Can you just let us know <laughs> where you're from originally? Yeah, so... Originally, oh, I was born in, in Scotland, um, near Glasgow. I don't know how many people know about the geography of the west of Scotland, but I was born near a little place called Loch Lomond, so, um, which is about 21 miles outside of Glasgow, hence the accent. However, most people back home think that my accent has changed. Right. Um, but I, <laughs> I guess I'll always, have, I'll always have a Scottish accent. So I moved here um in 1998 for 12 months, and I never went home, well, except for <laughs> trips and holidays. <laughs> no, that's great. And Fiona, you've been, if I'm not mistaken, a Qantas Platinum One frequent flyer for quite a few years. Uh, yes, I, ha- I think I'm in my fourth year now of, of Qantas Platinum One. 
that that requires obviously a lot of flying. I mean, it's three thousand six hundred Quanta status credits every year that you need to earn to to earn and maintain that, and with at least two thousand seven hundred status credits from Qantas marketed flights. Uh, I wanted to ask you, how are you able to earn so many status credits in a year? What kind of travels are you doing? Oh, my travels probably all. Oh, 50%, 60% work-related and the rest is leisure-related. So I'm one of these people who travels just an awful lot, both for work and for pleasure. So I do um, I do some medical education. So I, I teach on a couple of different courses and I do have to fly. Most of that's domestic. Um, I do have to fly to, to teach on those courses. And I also um, must keep up with my continuing professional development. So I uh, do attend in... Uh, international um, conferences and meetings and scientific events and yeah and the rest of it I guess is travel with my family so my partner and I like to go away on weekends and between that and probably two or three family holidays a year that sort of adds up but I'd say I'm probably flying there wouldn't be a month that goes by that I don't have a trip of some description so yeah that's that's what I do Okay, and do, do you use any tricks to earn more status credits? With my, my work-related travel, that's all very regulated, so there's very limited options as to what I can do in, in regards to that. But with leisure travel, yeah, absolutely. As everyone does, fly, fly direct when you can connect. So if I can fly to the family holiday going Sydney, Melbourne, Melbourne, Los Angeles, then that's what I will do. Sometimes it's not always about the status credits. Sometimes it's about it's just there's better seats on the aircraft out of Melbourne. So we've done that. So swings and roundabouts. But yeah, definitely. So I, I try and maximise the, um, the the sectors if I can on my leisure travel. And I also try to, um, obviously, as you know, with Platinum One, you have to have 2,700 status credits in Qantas. So as far as possible, I try and use Qantas domestically if the schedules and price, etc. is right. So yeah, just common sense sort of things. Okay, yeah, that Wi-Fi direct when you can connect, that's um, that's the perfect yeah. AFF mantra right there. And have you found that Platinum One has lived up to the hype? I mean, Qantas Marks, it markets as, you know, this ultra-premium service for their most um, loyal flyers. Um, what's your experience been like? My experience has been quite good. So I think that the special service team, who's a special team that look after the Platinum One and Platinum One Chairman's Lounge members in Canberra, they are absolutely superb. So when something goes wrong, and I've had a few flights where things have gone wrong, I find that they look after me very well. And the Platinum One would probably be looked after amongst the the first people that would be reaccommodated, if you like, um, in the event that something went wrong or or on a Qantas flight. And that doesn't just extend to them rebooking you on Qantas flights, but they'll also be able to rebook you on other flights that you might have missed as part of a connection. So... To give you an example, I had a trip to London, this was a couple of years back, and there was some engineering problems in Dubai. And basically the flight didn't get into London until very, very, very late that night. It was meant to arrive at lunchtime. And I had missed the last flight to Glasgow. I was going up to Glasgow um, to drop well, my daughter's off with her grandparents. And I missed the last connecting flight to Glasgow. And Qantas rebooked us the next day on the, the first British Airways flight um, and organised hotel accommodation and everything. There was someone waiting for us when we got off the aircraft to um, 
gives all that information. And that sort of level of service, I think, was very, very welcome. They were also in constant contact with me during the telephone, during the delay in Dubai, because at some point we thought we might be able to make the, the last Glasgow flight, and then it became apparent we weren't going to, and they got on and rebooked that. So in terms of the service, when things go wrong, Platinum One is really, really good, and I think it does for me anyway, live up to the hype. It's probably not quite as glamorous a programme in terms of some of the equivalent One World Super Uber Platinum programmes, if you like. So there aren't so many of the um, other perks, hotel benefits, etc. I think they probably could increase that a little bit. But overall, I'm quite happy with Qantas Platinum One. However, I do not think it is a level that anyone should try or strive to get. If you get it by virtue of your fine, then that's fine. But it's not something that I think is worth three times platinum. That's an interesting comment there. And yeah, I, I tend to agree that if you are, you know, if you're doing that level of flying, then it, maybe it's worth it in the sense that they will reaccommodate you if things go wrong. And I mean reaccommodate in the Qantas sense, not the United Airlines sense. Um, but yeah, as you say, it doesn't have as many sort of fixed, um, like published benefits. Um, no, no. And I guess for someone who's doing the amount of flying that you are, British Airways status must look tempting. <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> uh, yeah, Br- British Airways status certainly, certainly would look tempting. For me, I have not yet made any decision to to, to pursue British Airways status, but it's certainly something that I, you know I, I can't say I haven't been considering it. Um, having seen what what British Airways has to offer, um, obviously I'm fortunate in that I have a UK still have a UK address, so um, I know there are some some difficulties with Australians um, crediting to British Airways, but. Um, yeah, it, I, I would never say never, but I haven't yet made a deci- made any decision that I would change to British Airways. Yeah, um, interesting comment there about Australians and British Airways. I did actually write to British Airways recently to ask them why Australians and New Zealanders are not, you know, technically allowed to join the program, and I never got a reply. So I'm still not really sure. It seems to be kind of a hangover from the days when British Airways was very closely tied in with Qantas. So that's when they originally yeah. decided that Australians weren't allowed to join the British Airways Executive Club. But since 2013, Qantas obviously changed over to Emirates, and they still have kept this rule, and I don't quite understand it. Um, but, I mean, as you say, there are some pretty good benefits if you're a very frequent flyer with British Airways. So not only do they have lifetime platinum at um, a much more reasonable requirement um, compared to Qantas, yeah. but um, also yeah. if, you're, if you're flying, yeah, quite a lot, you've got the gold, gold guest list benefits and, you know, various other things for people that are really flying a lot. So it does seem yeah. like a pretty good program. Yeah, I have to say I was very, very disappointed at Qantas' recent announcement for of their requirements for lifetime platinum, um, I think for most people, e- even people who who regularly maintain platinum one at three thousand six hundred status credits a year, it's just not achievable. Um, yeah, I, I'm really disappointed about that. I had actually held out some hope that they would have introduced it at something that was a little bit more doable in terms of if you do spend a lifetime at platinum or platinum one equivalent with Qantas then you will you you can retire and live in comfort but I just think the level they've introduced at is not that it's really aimed at executives who are flying first class paid every week 
and it's not really aimed at the regular solid Qantas Platinum. It's interesting. So if you're as someone who's maintained Platinum 1 for already several years, if it's something that, you, that you know, even you don't aspire to, then what hope do the rest of us have? I mean, 75,000 status credits is just so ridiculously high. So Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. It was indeed very disappointing. You're a doctor by profession when you're not um, spending your time on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum. I wanted to ask you, because obviously you've done quite a lot of flying, have you ever been called upon to assist in a medical emergency during a flight? I'm actually very lucky. Out of the thousands and thousands of sectors that I've flown on, I've been called upon probably half a dozen times at most in Almost, and in fact, all of those were what I would regard as fairly minor ailments and minor problems that would could be very quickly solved. So, um, I have some colleagues who have done a lot more adventurous things, and one colleague has spent pretty much an entire flight uh, looking after someone who was quite severely, uh, severely ill. Um, managed to avoid a diversion, but. He, he was very well looked after by the airline, and that airline was Qantas, in fact. He was very well looked after by the airline afterwards, him and his family. But for me, I have been lucky. I've been able to get on the aircraft, relax, pop on my headphones, switch on the, switch off the phone, and not worry about it until I get to my destination. What's the process if there is a medical emergency during the flight? Do they know that you're a doctor just by looking at the manifest, or do they make an announcement, or how does that it, work? It depends how much it's. Some airlines will ask you if you're a medical doctor when you board, because I, I have doctor on my boarding pass on almost all of the flights that I take. Um, some airlines will ask. So, for instance, Emirates, I've been approached ask me when I was on a flight, or oh, are you a medical doctor? I was also asked by Thai if I was a medical doctor as well. Um, Thai didn't say why they wanted to know, but the Emirates person actually said, oh, we do like to know, you know who's a medical doctor versus who's a real doctor with a PhD <laughs> so that we know who to call upon in an emergency. They usually make an announcement in the cabin and sometimes they don't make an announcement throughout the whole aircraft. So, for instance, I was on a flight once, uh, going back quite a few years ago and I was in economy, um, a long-haul flight on Qantas, and I didn't actually hear any announcement and I was at the front of front of front row of the economy and I got to sort of change into my pajamas. Didn't hear any announcement. But I saw a couple of doctors heading down the back or people heading down the back and I realised there was some sort of commotion and I spoke to the cafe who was near me and said, Oh, what's going on? He said, Oh, there's you know, there's an, an incident, someone's ill down the back of the aircraft. At this point we were still at the gate, I think it was in Bangkok. He said, Oh, there's been an incident down the back of the aircraft looking for a doctor and I said, Oh, I didn't hear the announcement. He said, Oh, I don't think you need it in, in the economy cabin. I said, oh, okay. I said, oh, I can go and help. So I went down the back and there was a, uh, a, a fellow doctor there, fully dressed in, in his um, Qantas first pyjamas. That was the very old brown pyjamas <laughs> that they used to have. He was dressed in his brown pyjamas. What a sight. And I sort of, yeah, yeah, it was a sight to behold. And I walked up and said, oh, hi, um, I'm, a, I'm a doctor as well. I wondered if anyone would be uh, needing some help. And he says, uh, I said, oh, I, I'm, I'm an emergency physician. And the spokes turned around and said, oh, I'm a gynecologist, it's all yours, and then headed back up to work. <laughs> That's interesting. I didn't realise that they could actually make announcements that only, um, you know, only broadcast a part of the plane. Yeah, well, that's what they did on that occasion. That's what they did then. Right. So, um, 
yeah, so that was interesting. And that, again, that turned out to be some relatively minor thing. But um, <laughs> as soon as the gynecologist saw me, he said, yeah, okay, bye. Fair enough. Do, do you ever worry, like, when you're getting on a flight and, you know, maybe have, you, maybe have a bit to drink that you might be called upon? Or is that not really something you, that goes through your mind? It's not something that goes through my mind, to be honest. I, I, I try when to, to fly. It, it, there's, there's no point in, in arriving the other end not feeling very well and feeling under the weather. And oftentimes my flights, particularly my work flights, I actually arrive on the morning of when I'm expected to be at the conference, the meeting, whatever. I'm expected to be there that morning. So, yeah, it's it's not something I factor in. If I ever felt that I'd had a couple of champagnes and I felt a bit tired, I would just... I would just say that I, I really wasn't able to help if I felt that that was the case. But yeah, I don't generally take any tablets or anything on board. Or yeah, so yeah. But I, I suppose if you had a long spell in the lounge followed by a nice flight and business so first, then it could be something that you would consider whether you should be helping or not. No, that's absolutely fair enough. And actually, that that brings me to another interesting point. So you you're saying that the, um, you often take a long haul flight and then expect it to go to work or go to a conference, you know, first thing in the morning when you arrive. Do you have any tricks to you know combat the jet lag or to to feel better about that? Because obviously, that's that's quite difficult to be yeah. doing. Yeah. So so I I u- I usually take melatonin. So I usually buy that this food supplement you can buy from the US, and I stock up when I go over there. I will try and drink as much water as possible and just in common sense stuff, setting your body clock to the time zone, sorry, your watch and et cetera to the time zone that you land in as soon as you get on the aircraft. I don't know about you, but the night before a long haul flight, I hardly get any sleep. I only ever need, (laughs) I set one alarm or I set like five alarms and I don't even need the first alarm because I'm already awake before before I'm getting <laughs> You're up. So excited about getting flight. on the plane, eh? Yeah, I just I'm always I'm always worried that I'm gonna you know I'm gonna miss it or you know I've oh, quite a I long drive feeling. ahead of me to get to the oh. airport. So if I'm driving to the airport in the morning, I usually have a long drive. Um, if I fly out of Sydney, and I'm always very hyper conscious, so I would reckon on the night before a long haul flight, I'll have very little sleep. So consequently, when I get on the plane, even if it's the time zone is ten hours ahead, when I get on the flight, I'm actually tired. So, yeah, it's it's a, a relaxation thing for me. So I try and get as much sleep as I can on board. Um, melatonin. When I arrive, if I arrive and it's daytime, I try and get out and about and get some fresh air and some sunshine um, and then I try my hardest the first night to stay up until what would be a reasonable bedtime so I try not to go to bed too early there's nothing worse than falling asleep at four or five in the afternoon and waking up at one in the morning that's really horrible oh I know that feeling very 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 well it's it's not nice at all especially if you're expected to go to work the next day yeah, no, it's horrible. So, Fiona, to wrap up the interview, I wanted to ask you the same quickfire questions that I asked to the other moderators when they've uh, been on the podcast. And the first one is, uh, what is your favourite airline to fly with? I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Oh, I have to, oh, I have to say Qantas. I have to say Qantas, just because they look after me. Fair enough, fair enough. And on that note, do you have a favourite frequent fly program? Is it also Qantas Frequent Flyer? I that depends. If it's in terms of crediting, then Qantas Frequent Flyer for me for my flying patterns. Yep, that's probably my favorite favorite flying program. But in terms of re- redeeming miles, there are some better options. Anyone in particular? Uh, I still like Life Miles. I love Life Miles. Uh, um, I was lucky miles. to 
I was lucky to buy a lot of life miles when the dollar was at parity, and I'm still whittling through the last amount of those. So, yeah, I, I do like that program. That's brilliant. And, yeah, it's a bit of a shame about the exchange rate at the moment. Uh, do you have a fl- Yeah, it's awful. It's, it's terrible. Uh, do you ever fly with Virgin, by the way? I used to fly with Virgin, but I hadn't flown with Virgin for a couple of years, except on the weekend when I did fly with Virgin. Oh, how was uh, that? Virgin Business, yeah. Flew Virgin Business um, to Adelaide, and it was actually very good. I was very pleasantly surprised. Um, the service on board was fantastic, and the food was fresh and tasty, and yet virtually no complaints. Oh, so they might be giving Qantas a run for their money there a little bit. <laughs> oh, I think so, yeah. Yeah. And do you have a favourite destination to travel to? Oh, New York, definitely. New York, easy. <laughs> and do you have a favourite credit card, Fiona? The Amex Platinum Charge Cards. Okay. I know that it's expensive, but for me, it's still very worthwhile in terms of the benefits, travel credit. And I find pretty much if you ask Amex, it's accepted almost everywhere, or mostly everywhere that I would shop. And yeah, I find it, I, I like being able to put my points to whichever programs I want to redeem them on. I think that's fantastic. Absolutely, yeah. And Fiona, what's the best airline or frequent flyer program promotion that you've ever been able to take advantage of? No, that's a good question. I'm always usually a bit late to the party when there's some promotion that goes on. I usually read it and say, oh yeah, I'll get onto that later and then never do. Probably the, the, the best one that's probably not really a promotion that was going on for quite a long time was when Qantas had the NEC awards so that was when Qantas for a period of time you could redeem your points in economy, business, premium and first for award seats at the classic award redemption rates and that same flight would earn points and status credits as if it was a standard ticket so that was um it sounds unbelievable now and most people that never knew about it would say, really? You, you really could do that? But for me, I think that was that was definitely a... I should have taken advantage of that a long time before I did. So um, I only did a few domestics and then when they cancelled it, I decided I was going to use all my points and book myself to London. So I did, <laughs> using some <laughs> of my points. <laughs> but um, yeah, I really wish... I know that some people that had made a lot more of that, but that was a, that was a fantastic promotion that Qantas had. That was absolutely a very good deal. It's a shame they got rid of that. Um, mm. Finally, do you have a, a special tip? What's your number one tip for people that are traveling? So my, I am absolutely OCD about travel arrangements. So I need to have copies and multiple copies and backups. So I keep all my emails. I send everything to, I use one of the one of the various apps I use TripIt Pro, but there's a few other ones that are on the market. And I also have for the US I have backup paper copies of my passport and my ESTA and things like that. So I think being very organised in terms of putting everything in the one place but having backup copies is important. So I send car hire hotels, everything, all to my TripIt, but I've got keep the originals of those as well. So that's yeah probably the one thing I would say in terms of organisation. It also makes things easier for you as well. If something goes wrong and you would have to put a claim in in your travel insurance, etc., you've got everything there that you that you used and you spent. Good advice. Well, Fiona, also known on AFF as Princess Fiona, thanks very much for your time. Thanks, Matt. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Fiona.
Well, it's now around 11 months before the July 2020 school holidays. And if there's one thing that I've learnt running a ward flight assist over the past few years, it's that Australians love to travel to Europe over the European summer, which is, of course, the Australian winter. Of course, the trip to Europe is very long, so most of us would prefer to do it in the comfort of business class. And the best value way to do that is, of course, to redeem frequent flyer points. There's just one problem here. With so many Australians trying to redeem points to go to Europe at pretty much the same time, the competition is intense. I can't tell you the number of uh, clients we've had at Award Flight Assist last year that wanted to book multiple business class seats from Europe back to Australia on the 25th of July or, you know, within about one or two days of that date. There were literally dozens and those are just the ones that I saw. So obviously being peak travel time, getting a seat can be quite a challenge. If you are thinking about redeeming your points to travel to Europe next summer, next European summer, so that's June, July, August, uh, now would be a pretty good time to start thinking about it because the seats will sell out quickly. Um, The seats are just starting to become available now on most airlines, so it is a good time to start looking at this and to make a booking while you still can. Now, the good news if you do want to travel to Europe in business class is that it is possible using points, even in school holidays, uh, as long as you've done a bit of preparation. And um, But you do also need a bit of luck and, well, most importantly, a bit of skill in knowing when to book, uh, which frequent flyer programs to use, uh, and where the seats are and how to find that award availability, particularly on some of those routes that are not showing online when you search on the airline's website. If you would like some help with redeeming your points to Europe, Uh, You might be interested in a webinar coming up next Wednesday. Uh, It's on Wednesday night at 8 p.m. over on our sister website, Frequent Flyer Solutions. And in this webinar, we'll be talking about where to look for seats and uh, which frequent flyer programs to use to travel on points to Europe and get the best value for your frequent flyer points. This is actually going to be a bonus webinar, and it's exclusively for the premium economy, business class, and first class members of Frequent Flyer Solutions, our sister site. If you're interested in upgrading your membership, it costs as little as $125 a year for premium economy membership of Frequent Flyer Solutions. The premium economy membership allows you to register for all of their webinars. Um, There's a guaranteed minimum of eight webinars per year, and these are on a wide range of topic of interest to Frequent Flyers. There's also business class membership, which includes access to all of the Frequent Flyer Solutions training materials. And Frequent Flyer Solutions also now offers first-class membership, which comes with a whole host of premium benefits in addition to those uh, business class benefits. So you'll get a one-on-one Frequent Flyer points consultation with me. You'll also get access to dedicated help desk, access to all of our past webinar recordings, complimentary Australian Frequent Flyer gold membership, and discounts on the popular Award Flight Assist service. And if you're already an AFF Gold member, you are eligible for a discount on First Class Membership. If you'd like any more information about the upcoming webinar on Redeeming Points to Europe or about Frequent Flyer Solutions Membership, do check out the links in the episode notes or visit frequentflyer.com.au. That's all for another episode of AFF On Air. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about anything that was discussed in today's episode, have a look at the episode notes or visit australianfrequentflyer.com.au. In the episode notes for this episode, you'll find a link to an AFF thread where you can discuss anything from this episode or ask me a question that you would like me to cover on air. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a comment or a rating in Apple Podcasts or wherever you might be listening. And if you haven't already, please subscribe. 
By doing this, you'll help us to reach more Australian travellers, so I would really appreciate that. My name's Matt Graham, and I'll be back next fortnight, as always, with more news, tips and tricks for Aussie travellers. Until then, happy flying.